Running a business is no cakewalk, but with SAP Concur Solutions, you can be ready for anything. You can manage travel, expenses, and AP all on one platform that's packed with AI and best practices, and that delivers it all through an easy, clear, I can't believe how simple that is experience. So while not much can be done about that guy who never fails to burn the microwave popcorn and stink up the entire office, with SAP Concur, you can easily handle almost anything else. Take control of your business finances today at concur.com. That's C-O-N-C-U-R dot com. It's brand new season two. I'm Marissa Thalberg. And I'm Stephen Wolf Bededa. And we're excited to be back having bigger, bolder, and always real conversations. Straight from the C-suite front lines of marketing, media, and more. We have great friends joining from people you may know, like Wilmer Valderrama and Bobby Burke. And people you'll want to know. So grab a coffee or, hey, even an Aperol Spritz and come join us on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Listen to brand new on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Gene Fodor. Gene was wounded. But be careful, because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. The CIA really need your help, Gene. Freeze, Americano! Huh? Oh! Gene, run! Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. I'm excited to announce a new season of my podcast, Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. Our guests this season show us big risk can yield big rewards. Like Rob Riley, the creative head of one of the world's leading advertising firms. I try to create environments where anybody can say anything without any judgment. Listen to a brand new season of Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast or wherever you get your podcast. Welcome to Tech Stuff, a production from iHeartRadio. Hey there and welcome to Tech Stuff. I'm your host Jonathan Strickland. I'm an executive producer with iHeartRadio and how the tech are ya? Well, I thought we'd do a little Tech Stuff tidbits episode today. Bloomberg reports that one of Apple's worst-kept secret projects is now on indefinite hold, meaning it may never come out. That project is a pair of augmented reality glasses, or AR glasses. So I thought that I'd chat a bit about AR. Uh, it's too bad it's not talk like a pirate day, because then I could talk about R glasses, but uh, no, it's... It's AR. And I want to talk a little bit about the history of augmented reality and why even a company like Apple has to back off from the, the quest of the augmented reality glasses. Also, I'm going to chat about what Apple's going to do instead of producing those AR glasses. We'll get to that toward the end of the episode. So first off, what the heck is augmented reality? Well, it's a slice of a larger spectrum that we call Mixed Reality, or XR. Mixed Reality describes systems in which the user interacts with some mixture of real and computer-generated elements. So let's take Virtual Reality, or VR, for example. With Virtual Reality, a computer creates the visual and audio cues that the user encounters. So everything you see and hear is computer-generated. 
Depending on the extent of the experience, you might also get some other elements to boost immersion, like maybe some smells thrown in. Like maybe you are supposed to be hang gliding over a forest and you start to smell the scent of pine and some fans begin to blow air on you to simulate the wind. But this means that you're, you've got some real world stuff impacting your experience on top of the virtual elements that you're seeing and hearing. Therefore, it's a mixed reality. Augmented reality is kind of on the other end of the spectrum of, of mixed reality from VR. So with augmented reality, your experience of the world around you remains available to you. So you can still see and hear the world around you. But in addition to that, you get some computer-generated material that adds into that experience. So it could be audio cues that are delivered through like an earpiece or a bone-conducting you know, uh, uh, speaker. Or it could be digital information that's visually overlaid on top of your view of the world, which could be through a screen or transparent lenses. The information adds to or augments your understanding of your surroundings. And this is not a new idea. Uh, Back in 1968, a professor at Harvard named Ivan Sutherland created a contraption that he nicknamed the Sword of Damocles. Now, in case you do not understand that reference. And trust me, uh, the sword of Damocles is a phrase I heard a lot before I ever thought to even look into (laughs) what the story was behind it. I'm going to give you the quick version of it. And I know this is tech stuff. It's not stuff you missed in history class or, uh, you know, any kind of mythology course, but give me some slack. So Damocles was a member of the court of Dionysius II of Syracuse. Uh, Dion, as I will call him. So this was in 4th century BCE, and Syracuse was a powerful city in Sicily. And Dion II wasn't the best ruler. He was kind of a party boy. He initially inherited his position when his pops kicked off when Dion Jr. was just 30 years old. Anyway, back to Damocles. So the story goes that Damocles is attending the court of Dion II, and Damocles is just falling all over himself kissing Dion II's posterior, and then he essentially implies that Dion II had it made in the shade, that being king must be the best, to have absolute power and all of this luxury at your disposal. So Dion goes all like, oh, you think so? Well, let's switch places and you can find out. Now, keep in mind, actual history tells us that Dion really was all about the lavish lifestyle, so this doesn't really sound like the historical account, but this is the myth, so we're going to go with it. So the story goes that Damocles hops up on the throne and he's like, hey, I could get used to this. Except Dion then hangs a sword point down directly above the throne and therefore directly above Damocles. And he uses a single horse's hair to do it. So he's communicating that, yeah, you've got all this nice stuff, but being a ruler is a constant danger. You never know when it's going to strike, when that thread's going to break and you're going to be in mortal peril. Now, in Dion's case, he had made a lot of enemies, mostly by being a not great ruler of Syracuse. So to simulate that, he had this sword suspended on a a weak horse's hair above Damocles' head. You know, any moment death could come for you. And then afterwards, they switched back and Dion was saying, see, it's not all wine and roses until he presumably went back to smelling roses and drinking wine. 
Now, forgive me the tangent. It's just kind of fun to dive into history and literature and mythology on occasion. Anyway, Sutherland, back in 1968, he creates this display and calls it the Sword of Damocles. Uh, By the way, he didn't do this alone. He actually worked with several of his students over at Harvard. And this was a head-mounted display that actually dangled from a mechanical arm, thus the Sword of Damocles, because it was suspended. Now, it was done for a couple of reasons. Uh, One was that it was just way too heavy, so you couldn't wear it on its own. It had to be suspended so that some of the weight could be taken off the user. But also, that connection was part of the way that the whole system was able to track the movement of the display. So that when someone wore the display and they moved their head, their, their view would move along with their physical movement. See, Sutherland had previously created head-mounted displays, but they didn't have head tracking, which means you could strap one to your face and turn your head, but you would just see the same view as you did a moment before. It'd be kind of the same thing that if you, you know, had a, a smartphone playing a YouTube video, just a regular YouTube video in a visor, you turn your head to the left or to the right, you're still looking at the same video, right? Your, your perspective hasn't changed at all. So head tracking was a really important part of the technology that would advance both augmented reality and virtual reality. And the Sword of Damocles could do it. So um, a phenomenal achievement in 1968 of all things. Like, you got to remember, this is before even personal computers were a thing. So really groundbreaking stuff. Now, the, the Sword of Damocles was really more in the realm of virtual reality than augmented reality. It was meant to show computer-generated images, not overlay them on top of your view of the world around you. But it was one of the major pieces that had to fall into place for augmented reality to work. Because obviously, augmented reality only works if the overlay can adjust uh, with respect to your point of view, whatever you're looking at, right? If you put on a pair of augmented reality glasses and you take a look at a building and the AR is telling you, oh, here are the offices that are in that building. And then you turn your head to look at a different building. Well, it has to be able to track that motion and understand, all right, well, now we're looking at something else. So we have to put in different information because the first set of information is no longer relevant. Head tracking is absolutely critical to make that happen. Now, AR wouldn't even get a name until 1990. So 1968, we get this this uh, uh, sort of Damocles contraption. And for the next two decades, AR and VR development continued to happen, but was mostly in research labs and also some military applications. It was being used in things like cockpits of fighter jets and stuff like that. Uh, but Other than that, it was pretty much invisible to the average person. And around 1990, that's when Tom Caudell and his co-worker David Mizell got an assignment from their employer, Boeing Computer Services Research. So Boeing is an uh, aerospace company, and it was looking to update the way that it would train people, construction workers mainly, who were building Boeing's aircraft. So one of the things they had been doing is they were using these little plywood boards to write instructions about how to lay out cables along the body of the aircraft. And they would put these boards up within the aircraft to kind of act as guides. 
But you had to have specific boards for every different kind of aircraft because no two aircraft were using the exact same layout for wiring. And so Boeing was saying, hey, can you come up with a better way of doing this? Because this is kind of, this is like Stone Age approach to, uh, to the space age stuff we're doing. So Caudel and Mizell came up with a system that used a head-mounted display that would let construction workers still see the aircraft, like they're still getting a view of their surroundings, but they would get a digital drawing that would superimpose where the cables were supposed to go. And they could even use blank boards as kind of like a movie screen. So you would look at the blank boards, and the blank boards would act as the same sort of guide that the construction workers had been used to, but now the instructions are being provided by a computer program and displayed within this head-mounted display, as opposed to being physically written on the plywood boards. This meant you didn't have to have plywood boards for every single aircraft. You didn't have to have them all written out for specific ones. You just use blank ones, and then you would use whatever the software was that was for that specific type of aircraft, and then the construction workers could get to work, and they could follow those instructions. So Caudel was the one who came up with the term augmented reality. The head-mounted display adds to or augments the person's experience of reality. And we would get a lot of focus, no pun intended, on the industrial world with regard to augmented reality. And you can quickly imagine lots of potential applications. Being able to see where you need to arrange, say, wires or pipes within the frame of a building could be helpful. Like imagine going through the process of constructing a home. Well, if you have a united approach, like you have this dream of how everything needs to be laid out, using something like a head-mounted display with augmented reality could allow various contractors to see that layout uh, virtually and follow that plan and thus avoid potential complications where like uh, someone says, oh, I I can't do what I had planned to do because now there's a pipe in this wall right here. Also, for future people who are working on a a structure, having a digital plan of everything that's built within the walls that can be displayed through augmented reality would be really helpful. Let's say that you are a construction worker and you're supposed to do a whole new layout for an office space. Maybe the previous tenant has moved out, a new one's gonna move in, Augmented reality might show you where all the existing wiring is and let you plan around that so that you can be as efficient as possible when you're creating the new office layout. So you can definitely see a lot of practical applications for augmented reality, especially in the worlds of industry, right? Maybe fewer obvious applications for the average consumer, but we would eventually get to there. Okay. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, I'll talk a little bit more about the history of augmented reality and what's going on with Apple. Running a business is no cakewalk. There is a ton to keep track of. Employees to keep happy, spending to control, travel to plan, and on top of it all, nobody knows exactly what the future holds. Your finance team always has to be ready to change. But with SAP Concur Solutions, you can be ready for anything. You can manage travel, expenses, and AP all on one platform that's packed with AI and best practices. And that delivers it all through an easy, clear, I can't believe how simple that is, experience. 
and you can finally say goodbye to the costly mistakes and risks that come from manual work and spreadsheets. So, while not much can be done about that guy who never fails to burn the microwave popcorn and stink up the entire office, with SAP Concur, you can easily handle almost anything else. Take control of your business finances today at concur.com. That's C-O-N-C-U-R dot com. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of On Purpose. On Purpose's mission is to create impactful conversations to help you become happier, healthier, and more healed. This week, I talked to Tiffany Haddish in a hilarious, deep, thoughtful interview where we dive into family trauma, grief, sobriety, love, and dating. You'll be laughing, crying, and have so many impactful takeaways after this interview. I had this, like, you know, homie lover friend for a long time. He's very disrespectful to me, very kind of messed up to me. But in my mind, we could get married. We had the most beautiful babies. He handsome. I'm pretty. Like, it would be so cool. He's smart and intellectual. I'm kind of smart, I think. Like, it would be fun. We have the best conversations. Like, we have fun. But then he would treat me like crap. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss this one. Every week on Talk Easy with Sam Fragoso, I invite an artist, writer, or politician to come to the table and speak from the heart in ways I imagine you haven't heard from them before. Some of my favorites are with Tom Hanks, Margaret Atwood, Questlove, Kate Blanchett, and Oscar Isaac. If that sounds like a varied group of people, it's because it is. I always wanted to make a show where one week we could sit with a politician like Beto or Rourke, the next an author like Min Jin Lee, or TV titans like Bill Hader and Quinta Brunson. Basically, this is a podcast driven by curiosity and an abundance of research. Conversations where people actually start to sound like people. In recent weeks, I sat with Dan Levy, Ava DuVernay, Benny Safdie, and the editor of The New Yorker, David Remnick. You can listen to Talk Easy with Sam Fragoso on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I hope to see you there. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. Welcome to Math & Magic, stories from the frontiers of marketing. This week, I'm talking to the one and only Ryan Seacrest. Love the connection to people. I think at the core what I get excited about, what gets me up in the morning is connecting with people in an unscripted, unvarnished way is getting to, to say something to them, hear back from them, know that I'm part of the routine. And I look forward to getting on the air. I look forward to it. In these exciting times, we're looking to the math, the strategy and analytics and the magic, the creative spark more than ever. Listen to Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. Before the break, I was talking about how augmented reality is used a lot in industry. But another fairly early use of augmented reality was in entertainment. Sports fans would get a kind of taste of what augmented reality is all about when the NFL started to use sports vision here in the United States in 1998 for American football. So sports vision is a system that lets producers overlay graphics onto a live television feed, such as a yellow line to mark a down on the field. Even if the camera's in motion, the system can 
put that line down so that it remains in the right position with respect to your view of the field. And now people who are tuning into the game could see in real time how, say, an offensive team advanced or failed to advance more clearly, and plays could become more exciting. You could see how much distance would need to be covered in order to secure the next down, or maybe even a touchdown, which, as I understand it, is a thing in American football. Uh, I'm not I'm not really well-schooled in sports. I know that's a shock to many of you. Now, development in augmented reality continued in various projects, and a lot of these were independent projects. And this probably means that we actually saw the evolution of AR occur more slowly than it would have if it were a more unified kind of effort. But instead, we saw different teams creating different AR hardware and applications, uh, sometimes in very, very specific applications that just weren't portable to other uses. But by 2000, there was some serious work going on. Uh, a developer named Hirokatsu Kato developed an open source software library, and he called it AR Toolkit. That really helped developers because it meant they didn't have to reinvent the wheel for every application. They had this common source of, of a software library that they could be they could build upon and they could tweak and evolve and improve over time. And meanwhile, other people could take advantage of that same toolkit. And that really sped things up considerably. In 2009, Esquire magazine released a special edition of its magazine, a physical paper magazine, and it included a QR code on the cover, along with Robert Downey Jr. And if you happen to have a laptop and it happened to have a webcam attached to it and you could download some specific software that Esquire linked to, then you could use your webcam to scan the QR code on the magazine cover and looking through the monitor, like which would be kind of mirroring the, the uh, cover of the magazine, Robert Downey Jr. would suddenly spring to life and jump to it and introduce you to the concept of augmented reality. Uh, he did it in a pretty snarky way, which is, you know, kind of his thing. And then he went on to sheepishly promote his upcoming Sherlock Holmes film, which uh, honestly was pretty adorable and entertaining. Now, the mobile revolution, which was largely led by Apple's iPhone, would transform how we access online content. And it also created a new way for us to experience augmented reality. Using special apps and real-world components, such as movie posters, we could use our phones to be the view through which we experience augmented reality, right? The camera on the back of the phone could feed a video view right to your screen, and then the phone would overlay digital information or replace whatever it is you're viewing with whatever the AR uh, application wants it to. So for the example, there were movie posters where you would hold your phone up and I, I assume there still are. I just don't hear about them very much, but you would hold your phone up and it would scan that this was an AR related uh, thing. You might even have to have a very specific app downloaded in order for this to work, but then the movie poster would seemingly come to life or you might get an animated sequence or even like a trailer would play for the movie all these sorts of things could happen where it's built on top of your view of the world. In this case, this particular movie poster. 
But, you know, people were already starting to wonder, what if you could build this technology into, say, a pair of glasses? And so instead of holding up a display and then looking at the world through that, you know, kind of like those folks who go to concerts and they turn on their their cameras on their phones and they watch the whole concert through their phone as they're videoing the concert instead of being in the moment. Like, what if, what if instead of doing that, I'm just wearing some glasses and the display is built into the glasses and I can see these effects without having to have this, this handheld device between me and the world around me. But that is a very tall order when you start to consider the elements that are required to fit into those glasses in order to give it AR functionality. Let's break down some of the components that you would expect in an augmented reality headset. Uh, first of all, you have to have some sort of processor or controller to act as the brains of the device. So there's one chip right there. You need at least one camera, preferably two, so you can get some stereoscopic vision so you can you know, have depth be part of the calculation here. But you need at least one camera so that the device can align information with whatever it is that you're actually looking at. So that camera needs to be able to say, all right, well, I can tell they're looking at this McDonald's, so I'm going to show them the McDonald's menu. You need a display or at least some form of projection so that you can actually see the digital information that's being provided to you. Uh, you might need a microphone and a speaker if you want to incorporate voice commands and audio feedback. You might want some sort of GPS sensor. Now, you could get away with pairing this device with something else like a smartphone, and then your smartphone ends up taking over some of these duties because you can you can offload that to the phone instead of onto the device itself. But you might want something like an accelerometer in your AR glasses. Uh, you would also need some form of wireless communication chip, whether that's Bluetooth or Wi-Fi or cellular or something else, so that it can send and receive information. Probably Bluetooth would be one of the requirements because it's hard to imagine not pairing this with a smartphone, at least for the data connection. You could get away with having it be cellular, though then you would have to you know, pay a, a, a bill each month to keep your glasses connected. Um, also, you need a battery to power the whole thing. Now, this is just scratching the surface, really, which is why you start to see it's tough to pack all of these components that you need for a useful working device and still keep it in a sleek eyeglass frame style form factor. So back in 2014, Google would show off Google Glass and this device would pair with a smartphone. So the smartphone acted kind of like a modem for the glasses. It would you know, filter information to the glasses and take information from the glasses, kind of acted as a liaison. It could also store photos or videos that you would take with the glasses. So you could take pictures, you could take video, and then the glasses would send that to a smartphone and then free up the limited space that the glasses themselves had. Uh, so you did offload some of the requirements onto your companion device, the smartphone you paired the Google Glass with. That ended up stripping down the Google Glass a little bit, so they didn't have to have everything I just mentioned earlier. Now, the Google Glass, uh, the glass part referred to a prism that was positioned so that it was out of the way of the wearer's view if they were looking straight forward. But by just glancing up and a little bit to the right, 
they could look into this prism and see some overlaid information. This was Google's way to both keep the view clear for the wearer and also make a display that was still accessible and useful. The glass had forward-facing cameras. It also had a bone-conducting speaker built into the frame so that you could hear audio from it. And you could use vocal commands. You could use a few head movements to do things like activate it. It also had a physical button if you wanted to use that to take pictures and stuff. Uh, and that was about it. And it was neat, but it was really limited. And while geeks like me slobbered over the thought of getting a pair of Google Glass, it didn't really have the aesthetic or the utility to appeal to the general public. You just, you couldn't do enough with them to make them really desirable. Also, people were freaked out about the idea of folks wearing a camera on their face where they could be taking video or pictures and no one would know about it. Now, I would counter that to say we're already there because everybody already has a camera in their pocket. Smartphones are everywhere and people always have their smartphones out and they're always looking at stuff and you can't tell if they're taking photos or if they're just scrolling on Twitter or whatever. So that already exists. It just, for some reason, once you moved it to the glasses format, people got more wary of it, which is interesting. I guess if you just have a little bit of abstraction, then that makes people comfortable enough to accept it <laughs> or at least not think about it much. But then when it becomes a little more prevalent, people get worried. I even had people ask me to take, I had a pair of Google Glass and I had, I had friends of mine ask me if I could take them off when we were doing stuff like eating lunch together uh, because they were freaked out by it. And meanwhile, I'm thinking like every single person in this restaurant has a camera on the table, if not actively in their hands, because no one can just leave them out of the way at any given moment. So yeah, uh, Google Glass did not take off and it ended up languishing a bit. It is still used, but in limited scope. Like it's typically used in workplace and industrial settings, but not, it's not a consumer product. It never really made that transition. Okay, we're going to take another quick break. When we come back, we'll finish up on the recent history of AR and talk about Apple. Running a business is no cakewalk. There is a ton to keep track of. Employees to keep happy, spending to control, travel to plan, and on top of it all, nobody knows exactly what the future holds. Your finance team always has to be ready to change. But with SAP Concur Solutions, you can be ready for anything. You can manage travel, expenses, and AP all on one platform that's packed with AI and best practices. And that delivers it all through an easy, clear, I can't believe how simple that is, experience. And you can finally say goodbye to the costly mistakes and risks that come from manual work and spreadsheets. So, while not much can be done about that guy who never fails to burn the microwave popcorn and stink up the entire office, with SAP Concur, you can easily handle almost anything else. Take control of your business finances today at concur.com. That's C-O-N-C-U-R dot com. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. Welcome to Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. This week, I'm talking to the one and only Ryan Seacrest. Love the connection to people. I think at the core... 
what I get excited about, what gets me up in the morning is connecting with people in an unscripted, unvarnished way. It's getting to to say something to them, hear back from them, know that I'm part of the routine. And I look forward to getting on the air. I look forward to it. In these exciting times, we're looking to the math, the strategy and analytics, and the magic, the creative spark more than ever. Listen to Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of On Purpose. On Purpose's mission is to create impactful conversations to help you become happier, healthier, and more healed. This week, I talked to Tiffany Haddish in a hilarious, deep, thoughtful interview where we dive into family trauma, grief, sobriety, love, and dating. You'll be laughing, crying, and have so many impactful takeaways after this interview. I had this, like, you know, homie lover friend for a long time. He's very disrespectful to me, very kind of messed up to me. But in my mind, we could get married. We had the most beautiful babies. He handsome. I'm pretty. Like, it would be so cool. He's smart and intellectual. I'm kind of smart, I think. Like, it would be fun. We have the best conversations. Like, we have fun. But then he would treat me like crap. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss this one. Every week on Talk Easy with Sam Fragoso, I invite an artist, writer, or politician to come to the table and speak from the heart in ways I imagine you haven't heard from them before. Some of my favorites are with Tom Hanks, Margaret Atwood, Questlove, Kate Blanchett, and Oscar Isaac. If that sounds like a varied group of people, it's because it is. I always wanted to make a show where one week we could sit with a politician like Beto or Rourke, the next an author like Min Jin Lee, or TV titans like Bill Hader and Quinta Brunson. Basically, this is a podcast driven by curiosity and an abundance of research. Conversations where people actually start to sound like people. In recent weeks, I sat with Dan Levy, Ava DuVernay, Benny Safdie, and the editor of The New Yorker, David Remnick. You can listen to Talk Easy with Sam Fragoso on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I hope to see you there. So Google Glass, as we mentioned, came out in 2014. And two years later, Microsoft introduced the HoloLens. Uh, The HoloLens is a lot beefier than Google Glass. It's also larger and bulkier. It's not not heavy from what I understand, but it it takes up a lot more real estate on your head. Like there's no mistaking that you're wearing a headset when you've got a HoloLens on. Whereas if you've got a pair of Google Glass on and someone's not actually looking at your YouTube too closely, they may just think you're having, you know, some glasses on uh, if they're really inobservant. But <laughs> there, there are two lenses in the HoloLens. They can overlay digital information over your view of the world. You do look through the lenses and see the world around you. So this is not like a mixed reality headset where you're looking at a solid display. You are looking through transparent lenses and you can use gestures to interact with these virtual elements that you can see in your field of view and appear to be in the environment around you, but it's all virtual. So for example, you could put up a panel of a video screen and you could place it wherever you liked within your physical environment and it would stay put in that spot uh, while you look around as if it were an actual physical television screen 
but in fact, it's all virtual. That's one example. And like the effects I've heard are really, really compelling. I've heard the HoloLens is super neat. I have never had the opportunity to use one myself, but every video I've seen, every review I've seen suggested that it was a, a pretty cool effect that showed the potential for HoloLens. However, Microsoft wasn't able to make a version of HoloLens that could be priced for the consumer market uh, because the technology was just far too expensive and, and sophisticated. So the HoloLens cost like $3,000. It was just was not something that the average person was going to be able to buy. And Microsoft knew that. So they were saying, well, no, we're really gearing this toward the professional use, like industrial use, that kind of thing, not for the home user. Now, it does some really cool stuff, but the applications for the general public would be really limited, which is understandable. I mean, if you're a developer, you are not going to dedicate the time, money, and resources to create apps for an AR headset if the general public can't afford to buy one because you would never make your investment back, right? You would be wasting all that time and money to build something that hardly anyone would be able to use unless you're doing stuff for industrial purposes. That's different. But if I, if you're trying to develop for the average person, you're not going to do it for AR because very few people can even afford an AR headset. So it makes sense that there are very limited AR applications out there for stuff like the HoloLens and that the consumer applications we do tend to see within augmented reality are restricted for things like smartphones and handheld game systems. This is stuff that consumers already own that are also able to perform certain AR functions instead of like a dedicated mixed reality or AR headset. Now that brings us up to Apple. Now it's been rumored for years that Apple has been working on an AR product and it was rumored to look like a pair of standard eyeglasses, like the black plastic classic eyeglass frames, maybe a little bit larger than your typical eyeglass frames in order to accommodate all those components I was talking about earlier. Now, back when Steve Jobs was alive and leading Apple, Apple had a reputation that was really tied up with its hardware. You had things like the iMac and the iPod, which helped Apple navigate some choppy waters when the company was on the verge of insolvency. Then there was the absolute explosion of the iPhone and then the success of the iPad. Apple became known as this innovative hardware company that, while not actually inventing new form factors, it kept finding ways to refine these form factors that had limited or no success in the consumer market and then create appealing aesthetics and user interfaces and make them a, a successful consumer product. Now, to be clear, I, it's not that I think we would never have seen the consumer smartphone without Apple. I think we would have, but it would have taken longer for it to really succeed. And that would also mean that the impact of smartphones on the online world would have taken longer as well. So the ripples that the iPhone created were wide and they had dramatic consequences for a lot of the tech sector. Now, Steve Jobs passed away in 2011. He had overseen the launch of the iMac, the iPod, the iPhone, and the iPad. 
After his death in 2011, the world watched Apple's new CEO, Tim Cook, to see how he was going to guide Apple forward and what products would follow. And for a few years, we really didn't get anything dramatically new. We got updates to existing lines of products, but unless you count the MacBook Air in 2014, and I don't because the Air is remarkably thin, but it's still a laptop. Well, it took years to go by without any sort of dramatic new product reveal. Now, that's not to say that the products Apple produced were bad, that the updates they made were bad. It's just that, you know, earlier years had enough dramatic unveilings that the expectations among Apple fans had grown really high, perhaps unreasonably high. Apple did introduce an all-new category, for Apple anyway, in 2015, with the first-generation Apple Watch. So arguably, this is the first totally new kind of Apple product since Steve Jobs had passed away in 2011. Unfortunately for Apple, the Apple Watch didn't captivate crowds the same way that earlier Apple products had. Now, that doesn't mean it didn't sell well. It sold really well. But it wasn't the revolutionary product that the Apple faithful had been hoping for. And we've seen a few other products emerge from Apple, things like AirPods. But none of these have really garnered the same reception as the iPhone. And Apple has kind of transitioned into more of a services-oriented company. So instead of being hardware-focused, they're services-focused. And Tim Cook really led that charge because it's a way for Apple to generate revenue through its existing platforms, and it doesn't rely on hardware releases. But there were rumors that Apple was working on three very big categories of tech that would introduce an all-new kind of product for the company. One was a television. Now, Apple does have Apple TV, but this is a service that can be built into hardware like a set-top box and then fed to a television where you can access the content that Apple allows and to use Apple services to get various types of movies and shows to your television. But for years, rumors were circulating that Apple was working on an actual television set one that would have the Apple aesthetic built into the physical hardware, not just delivered through software. That has yet to emerge. Another rumored technology was that Apple was working on a car. And we know that Apple is, in fact, developing an electric vehicle. Uh, it even has a code name, Project Titan. Now, at one point, Apple's plan was to create a fully autonomous vehicle. Word is that those plans got adjusted because, as we've learned over the years, making a reliable and safe autonomous vehicle is super hard to do. So instead, Apple is reportedly scaling way back to the more achievable goal of producing an electric vehicle. The third category of product was the augmented reality glasses. But like Project Titan, Apple has found the challenges associated with cramming all that hardware into an attractive form factor and still have it work and have enough battery life to be useful and not cost tens of thousands of dollars is a really tall order. It actually reminds me of those posters you'll occasionally see in workplaces that say something like, you want it done right, fast, cheap. You may pick two out of the three. So in other words, you can get it done right and you can get it done fast, but that means it's going to be really expensive. 
or you can get it done cheap and you can get it done fast, but it ain't going to be right. That kind of thing. That poster really does paint an accurate picture that you can't always get what you want. But if you try sometimes, you might find you get what you need to quote a Rolling Stone. So now Apple instead plans to release a mixed reality headset. Now, to be clear, this was already part of the plan back when the AR glasses were still on the developmental table. Uh, The plan was to release a mixed reality headset first, probably this year, and then follow that up with a dedicated augmented reality product. But now the AR product is on indefinite hold. So now the new plan is to release this mixed reality headset and then follow that up with a less expensive mixed reality headset later. Bloomberg reports that the first mixed reality headset, the expensive one that most folks in the industry expect will be released sometime this year, is going to set you back a hefty $3,000, just like the HoloLens would have. Three grand for a mixed reality headset is a very steep price indeed. And I think it's safe to say that it's well out of the range of the average consumer. There are still going to be early adopters out there and folks who have significant spending money who will rush out and pick one of these up. But most of us will be waiting around to see if the less expensive version is more within our grasp. And that might mean waiting at least a year or two, because it might be 2024 or 25 before we get the more modest mixed reality headset from Apple. And as I mentioned earlier, a high price tag also means there's not a whole lot of incentive for developers to make stuff for the platform, since very few people will even be able to access it. So it's even possible that by the time the lower priced mixed reality headset comes out, there still won't be very much you can do on the headset. Because again, what developer is going to dedicate the effort to make stuff for something that hardly anyone will be able to use. Uh, so yeah, it's, it's a, it's a steep curve. Doesn't mean that it's impossible to get through. Like it is possible. It's just going to take a lot of dedication on Apple's part. And the company can't just abandon it. If it turns out the first generation mixed reality headset, the really expensive one bombs, like if very few people buy it, then Apple has to stick with it. If we're going to get to a point where, a a mixed reality headset from Apple is going to be worth purchasing. Now, as for augmented reality, I don't think we're at the, I don't think the chapter is completely closed on it for Apple. I think there's always going to be a hope that maybe the company can work through some of the engineering challenges. If those are in fact possible to create a more uh, streamlined augmented reality product that is worthy of Apple's brand name. And I think that that does have, A lot of cool potential applications uh, if you can get it priced to a point where someone can actually afford to buy one. Uh, Otherwise, this ends up being very niche hardware for a very niche audience, and it's never going to develop beyond that. Uh, But I hope it does, because I actually really like augmented reality. I think it's super cool. I think that there are lots of different really interesting applications for it. There's also some really entertaining ones like it's not all you know, educational, although those are most of the ones I think about, but you could have really entertaining applications as well. But in order to get there, we have to solve these tough engineering challenges uh, that are not easy to walk around. And so, yeah, that's kind of where we're at. I'm bummed 
that the augmented reality has been shelved. I'm curious about the mixed reality meta kind of dominates that space right now with the, the quest two and the, to a much lesser extent, the quest pro <laughs> this, this I think would need to really be an incredible product from Apple because it's more than twice the cost of the quest pro and everybody kind of dismissed the quest pro as being uh, an unnecessary product that underperforms uh, based on your expectations. So the Apple mixed reality headset needs to truly blow people's socks off. If it's going to be a successful product, uh, the, the brand name can only take you so far. I guess there will be some uh, rich Apple enthusiasts who will buy pretty much anything Apple puts out, but for the rest of us, that's just not the case. Well, that's it. Hope you enjoyed this quick, I guess not that quick, but, <laughs> but fairly quick update to what's going on with Apple's AR project. I hope you're all well. If you have anything you would like to suggest for the show, you can do so by letting me know on Twitter. The handle for the show is TechStuffHSW, or you can download the iHeartRadio app. It's free to download. And once you're in the app, you can navigate over to TechStuff by putting that into the search field. It'll bring you to the TechStuff podcast page. You'll see there's a little microphone icon. If you click on that, you can leave a voice message up to 30 seconds in length and let me know what you would like me to talk about in the future that way. And that's it for me. So I'll talk to you again really soon. Tech Stuff is an iHeartRadio production. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Running a business is no cakewalk, but with SAP Concur Solutions, you can be ready for anything. You can manage travel, expenses, and AP all on one platform that's packed with AI and best practices, and that delivers it all through an easy, clear, I can't believe how simple that is experience. So while not much can be done about that guy who never fails to burn the microwave popcorn and stink up the entire office, with SAP Concur, you can easily handle almost anything else. Take control of your business finances today at concur.com. That's C-O-N-C-U-R dot com. It's the Kia Summer Sticker Sales Event, so give your friends something to look at, like a B&B &B with an ocean view, an endless field of wildflowers, or a sunset that needs no filter. Make this a summer to share and save with a capable Kia SUV or powerful sedan. See your local Kia dealer or visit Kia.com to learn more. Kia. Movement that inspires. Call 800-334-KIA for details. Always drive safely. Sale applies to purchase of specially tagged 2024 vehicles only. Quantities are limited. Must take delivery by 7824. It's brand new season two. I'm Marissa Thalberg. And I'm Stephen Wolf Bededa. And we're excited to be back having bigger, bolder, and always real conversations. Straight from the C-suite front lines of marketing, media, and more. We have great friends joining from people you may know, like Wilmer Valderrama and Bobby Burke. And people you'll want to know. So grab a coffee or, hey, even an Aperol Spritz and come join us on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Listen to brand new on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.